Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wa subhanallahul aliyyil azim. Alladhi manna alayna bini'amatil islam. Wa manna alayna bini'amin la tuhsa wa la tu'ad. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar ala kulli man taha wa tajabbar, Allahu Akbar kabira, walhamdulillahi kathira, wa subhanallah bukratan wa asila, wa nusalli wa nusallim wa nubarik ala muhammadin nabiyyil amin, alladhi ursila rahmatan lil'alamin. وعلى آله وأصحابه وعلى من اتبعه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين As always we start supplicating Allah remembering all that Allah has bestowed upon Allah's creation Acknowledging Allah's many bounties and many gifts. And praising God. The owner and giver and sustainer of the universe. Acknowledging our indebtedness and our gratitude. And praying for peace and blessings upon the Prophet Muhammad and peace and blessings upon all the Prophets of God and all those who followed in the footsteps of the blessed Prophets and worship God as God should be worshipped. We exist in unusual circumstance and this khutbah obviously is being given in unusual circumstance. I want to start out by explaining a few things that I think are important to understand. Scholars disagreed on the number of people that are sufficient for a Jum'ah to be validly carried out. Some scholars said that you need at least 70 people. Some, pe some scholars said you need 150. Some scholars said you need 20 people. And some said you need a minimum of four people other than the imam. So the less the the lesser number or the number that you at a minimum should have is four other than the imam 
unless you reject that opinion. For a variety of reasons, for a variety of reasons, in the United States, meaning in a non-Muslim country, a country where Muslims are a very small minority, that is the opinion that I decided is correct for this situation. Perhaps if we, in a Muslim country, I would not agree with a minimum of four other than the, uh, other than the imam opinion, but I think that is the appropriate opinion in the United States, in a non-Muslim country, where Muslims are a minority. What that means, that you cannot have a virtual khutbah unless there is, unless the virtual khutbah or the virtual jummah is based, is premised on an actual jummah where you have a minimum of four people other than the imam and, and the khatib follows all the rules for a proper jummah. Where the rules come for a proper jummah, where, where do these rules come from? They come directly from the Prophet ﷺ. This is what the Prophet taught. You need to have a jummah. So you have to have a first azan, you have to have a second azan, you have to have a first khutbah, you have to have a second khutbah. Each khutbah must have a tahmid and tasbih and takbir and taslim, salawat and taslim on the Prophet ﷺ and all the other rules that apply. Now, so the reason that I conduct a virtual khutbah is because there, it, these virtual khutbahs are based on a valid physical jummah. The reason I mention this is that I've noticed that some places uh, basically imitating me decided to have virtual jummahs or virtual khutbahs. But these places, unfortunately, know nothing about Islamic law, and they don't seem to realize that you just don't do things without understanding what the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ was and what the jurisprudential evidence is. And I don't want people to rely on virtual khutbahs that are invalid. So if a man stands by himself somewhere and, and says, I'm doing Jum'ah and it's virtual and gives a khutbah, uh, but there isn't, the other rules for Jum'ah are not, for Jum'ah are not fulfilled, then that khutbah and, and the entire thing is invalid and that's unfair and deceptive to those who follow along. The other thing is the unusual circumstance we live in. We here in California are under uh, orders of um, orders of to stay home and to avoid public gatherings, which meant that the Usuli Institute could not have its regular Jum'ah where it has uh, about 20 people or more or whatever or less praying Jum'ah. We rather 
changed the location so that we have exactly the number, the minimum number that is required for a proper Jum'ah and restricted it to people who are already very close and we know quite well. Um, now, I'm going to address the, the, the unusual circumstances we, we're in in a second because as I've emphasized repeatedly, the very purpose of Jum'ah is for a community to talk and to reflect upon its affairs. And in doing so, remember the remembrance of Allah is to remember the role that God plays in whatever affairs we confront and we deal with. To avoid contagion, religious services have been suspended all over because of the order to to stay home and because religious services are not considered essential services. It is interesting that most of these orders while the court systems are closed legal services have been considered essential services and lawyers can continue to go to their offices and continue to meet clients of course food markets have been considered essential services the point that we need to reflect on is what constitutes essential is socially constructed and socially conceived. When you say physical therapy is essential, but religious services is not an essential services, that's a social construct. And that social construct comes from your values. As a Muslim, Allah is central to everything. There is no mental well-being. There is no mental health. There is no physical health without Allah, without God. In fact, as I will address in a second, this entire trial and tribulation reminds us of the fool's errand of trying to create well-being without God being central to your existence. It is a social construct to imagine that physical health is necessary, mental health is necessary, legal services is necessary, but religious services are optional. 
Now, I'm not saying that we should use religious services for people willy-nilly to get together and infect each other. But recognizing the role of religious services in our life and asking ourselves whether these services are essential or not essential is one sure way to interrogate and to question the role that God plays in our lives. If we imagine religious services to be necessary, then we immediately should be creative about ways of sustaining and maintaining religious services while avoiding infection. So for instance, if you had people who knew much about the Islamic tradition, if you had scholars, you would find that there are many precedents in Islamic history where Jum'ah was held with a limited number of people, but instead of standing side by side, they would stand apart to avoid a contagion during a plague. Of course, in these days, they would open all the windows, keep the doors open, and stand separated. At least, now in our modern age, at least if we have a physically correct Jum'ah, and then allow other people base this, have a, a, a Jum'ah, even if people, let's say a limited number of people, let's say uh, five people, 20 people, that stand apart, and then on the basis of this Jum'ah, this valid Jum'ah, you broadcast for all those people at home services that they can follow. Now the role of the khutbah here is critical. Because if you're going to have services and your khutbah is neither near nor there, doesn't say anything to people who are going through serious social trauma and economic trauma, then these services fail. But it is a, it worries me and it disturbs me that we withdraw the role of God, especially in the Muslim community, in the Jewish community, in the Christian community, their churches actually became very active during this plight. In the Muslim community, our mosques and Islamic centers have just closed down, have just shut down, so that Muslims have, instead of finding creative ways to hold the hands of our congregations, to bring comfort and peace to our congregations, to provide some form of counseling and assurance and try to find some level of peace and tranquility, to become active in becoming a part of the solution in a pandemic rather than simply withdraw into the margins. So for instance, become active in helping those who are going to become homeless, those who are currently homeless, 
become active in collecting donations for those who are confronting serious financial problems, become active in trying to support families that are losing their jobs and so on. That is the type of ethic that if you care about the Muslim Ummah, now let me be very clear here. As a minority, we owe an obligation to civic society in large. We owe an obligation to the nation. We owe an obligation to the world. But as a religious service, you first and foremost owe an obligation to your Muslim ummah in the same way that a synagogue owes an obligation to its Jewish congregation. A Christian church owes its first obligations to its Christian congregation. You as a Muslim, as an Islamic center, you owe your first obligation to your Muslim congregation. If your Muslim congregation doesn't find the Islamic center that it belongs to holding its hands in this crisis, doesn't find the Islamic Center collecting donations and organizing services to provide care and comfort for the Muslims who frequent that Islamic Center, then these Islamic centers have failed. And I'm going to talk about this in a second, but there is a core concept here a core concept. That is the concept of the ummah that is premised on brotherhood and sisterhood in Islam. The first thing that the Prophet ﷺ did when the Prophet immigrated from Mecca to Medina was that, that the Prophet ﷺ declared a brotherhood and sisterhood between the Muslims, the Muhajirun, the migrants from Mecca, and those of Medina. And this close brotherhood that was declared meant that these individuals fought each other's battles cared for each others during financial need and financial crisis, cared for each other during illness and sickness, cared for each other even after death. Those who were, this is known as the mu'akha, those who were the, 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 the beneficiaries of the brotherhood and sisterhood, cared for each other's children, if one of them died. That was the secret for the success of the early Muslim community. That bond of fidelity that makes the members of a same community feel a sense of pride and belonging and a sense of loyalty you are in Arabic is sometimes called asabiya. It, it, it's a it's this 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 it's a it's the same type of pulse that animates nationalism, that animates patriotism, 
that animates any sense of belonging and fidelity. That is critical for a Muslim to actually feel like a Muslim. If a Muslim during crisis can't turn to his or her Muslim ummah, and here by ummah I mean your local mosque, for comfort and care, not just for comfort meaning, oh, you know, may Allah bless you, brother, barakallah feek, you know. No, for actual, you go and you are, you, you, you know that there is an attempt, an effort to create a network so that if you lose your job, you're not going to become homeless. If a member of your family becomes ill, that this network will see to the needs of the family. What if a Muslim family, the mother in that family that perhaps has small children or has a lot of children, the mother suddenly becomes ill and the father finds that he is confronting a, 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 a serious, overwhelming challenge with the children whose mother is now in the hospital. What if the family, the father becomes ill and the mother finds that she is unable to deal with the stresses of life? The role of the Muslim community is critical. It distresses me when I see that the response of Muslim community or centers is to basically not talk to its congregation, not address the needs of the congregation, but speak to the state. Exactly like happens back home, like you know, the, the same type of retarded mentality that plagues those who grew up in authoritarianism and, and despotism. They speak to the state, basically telling the state, look, we, we're good boys and girls, we're generally going to follow the instructions, and they think they've done their job. As long as they, the state is happy with them, as long as the police commissioner is happy with them, as long as the mayor is happy with them, halas, they've done their role, and they go all stay home. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, other than the fact that it is a real need. Muslims all over, especially the generations coming up, growing up, have lost any sense of confidence and loyalty and fidelity in the concept of ummah. When Allah tells us, you are a single ummah, all of you Muslims are a single ummah, and yet I need, especially among the generations coming up, most of them don't even care about the concept of ummah. They don't buy it. They don't believe it. They don't believe it. What ummah? Muslims? Muslims don't care about each other. Muslims don't take care of each other. I can't count on Muslims for any type of comfort or peace or, or, or support or... This is a disaster because it is also the key to our failures. Stop impressing those in powers 
and pay attention to what to your to substance to a substance of justice itself because that's what brings Allah's barakah that what brings Allah's blessings Allah doesn't bless those who perform theater to power to impress power Allah blesses true justice and true mercy and true kindness I know that among Muslims during the periods of crisis there have been a lot of especially Chinese Muslims, Asian Muslims who have been forget just even victims to what to, to the Chinese government but victims to racism because of the coronavirus. These Muslims should be able to turn to their own community. So, there, for instance, there's an organization that started a website that monitors acts of racism against Asians and that reports it to authorities in the United States and the United Nations. It bothered me enormously that the people who took this initiative are Christians. And it should have been Muslims. It should have been Muslims. All of this is tied to something really important about the coronavirus. Inshallah, I'll deal with in the second khutbah. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وسبحان الله العلي العظيم والله أكبر والله مصلي وسلم وبارك على محمد النبي الأمين خاتم النبيين والرسل أجمعين last khutbah I reminded you and reminded myself that Allah sends Ba'sa and Dara, Allah sends hardship. And Allah tells us, Perhaps you will turn to God. You will turn to God and remember the role of God. The, this pandemic comes with so many lessons for us. I was sitting reflecting, read a bunch of articles about how much money rich people lost because of this pandemic. And I imagined to myself, if this money that was lost had been voluntarily dedicated to helping the impoverished and the undeveloped in the, in the world become developed and become better off. If even 10% of this money would have been directed to helping refugees, 
or helping those who were displaced because of war or because of genocide or because of racism or because of religious bigotry. If leaders would have, instead of being forced to lose this money through a pandemic, they would have voluntarily decided to commit this money for worthy causes, would have Allah allowed this pandemic to hit the world the way it did? This virus comes as a stark reminder of the immorality that we live in because wealth is so unequally distributed and because those who are wealthy do not care about the suffering who for the suffering of those who do not have i cannot get over the fact that no one seems to be sure or even keep count of the number of infections and the number of deaths among displaced refugees, like for instance, the Syrian refugees, no one knows the extent to which the coronavirus has spread in, in Syrian refugees. No one is sure. Or among the Rohingyas, or leave alone among the Muslims who live in Chinese concentration camps. We don't know how many of them died because of corona. But we know by meticulous down to the person numbers of who died in Italy, who died in Spain, who died in Germany. There is a, a specific and meticulous process of counting. You tell me, if you were the maker of this universe, and you saw this level of immorality, where if you come from, a, from the white part of the world, your health and your life is valued on a completely different scale than if you come from the dark part of the world. What would you do? I often play this game with myself, and I know it's a ridiculous game. If I was the maker of this world, and I gave my creation the best of what I have, free choice, free will, that, that's, the, the, that's the, 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 the divine power. And this is what they do with it. What would you do? But especially during these times, and despite this this hardship, I want to remind you, and I want to remind everyone, and especially those young Muslims out there, 
Allah khalaqak wa huwa yuhibbuk. Allah created you, God created you, and God loves you. God created you, and God loves you. God created you, and God loves you. And then you say, well, wait, what is the evidence that God loves me? Why do you say God loves me? Think, think for an instant. You might not realize that consciousness and life is a gift, but it is. You might not realize that the power of reasoning and choice and free choice is a gift, but it is. If you not, if, if you reflect, if you looked at ants or insects or animals and you sat there and you pondered their existence, you would realize that you are partaking in divinity by having choice and having consciousness. Every second of every day that passes, look at how many things Allah blesses you with. Every time you use your eyes, it's a gift of love. It's evidence of love. Every time you, tr you express yourself and you find the words to express yourself, it's evidence of love. Every time you talk to your friends, it's evidence of love because Allah could take that away from you. Every time you get to hear the voice of your friends, it's evidence of your love because Allah can take that away from you. I still don't have my hearing. I'm still deaf. Every time you are hungry and you fill your stomach, that's evidence of love. Every time you can see your loved ones, your parents, your children, and they're safe and they're healthy and they smile at you, that's evidence of love. Every time you can make a friend, every time you have a nice time with your spouse, if you count Allah's blessings, you cannot, in fact, count them. If you attempt to count Allah's blessings, you cannot count them. We enjoy Allah's love left and right. We enjoy Allah's love all the time, but we take Allah's love for granted. When we are mean to our loved ones, we take Allah's love for granted. When we ignore our loved ones, we take Allah's for granted. When we are impatient with our loved ones, we take Allah for granted. When we hurt the feelings of loved ones and neighbors and and our society, we take Allah for granted. When we stop caring about the poor and the needy, we take Allah's love for granted. When we live selfishly and egocentrically, ego-centered, or you, you get what I'm saying. We focus that we're centered around our egos. We take Allah's love for granted.
Allah doesn't create and hate. Allah creates and loves. And Allah's love continues to bless you and surround you despite your ingratitude. And despite your obstinance. And despite the fact that Allah every minute of the day extends God's love to you. And so many of us just slap it back. And say, I don't notice it. I don't see it. I'm busy. I have things to do. Now, we have a virus that reminded the powerful that perhaps that they are not that powerful. That reminded us that but for the grace of God, a little virus can come, can come and completely disrupt our lives. And for some of us, may Allah protect all of you, this virus can come and can take your health and can take your, your, your well-being and it can take everything that you take for granted and enjoy and perhaps even can take your life. The only question is, are you going to turn to God and say, I got the message, I heard you. I will, I don't need to go through this trauma in order to acknowledge the fact that you, your, your, your care and your mercy and your love surrounds me and embraces me every second of every day of my life. Ultimately, you get to the point, whether you are old or young, of death. And please hear me. And please hear me when I say this, because I want you to listen carefully. When the point of death comes, whether you recognize it or not, whether you realize it or not, the moment of death or the second, the instant after death, you either will confront a terrifying reality Angels who look like demons that arrive to notify you that you have passed away and that the journey is over. Or you will be received by angels who will call you salama, who will receive you and say salam. Salam, tranquility and peace. Either the instant of death, you will meet absolute terror or you will meet absolute tranquility and comfort. Like when my mother, Allah died, her body from the time of her death until we buried her had a smile on her face. And I knew exactly where that smile came from because the angels of Salam arrived and said Salama. 
And when you see those angels, you smile. All the fear, all the agony goes away. That moment will come for all of us. And you're either going to have the angels of terror meet you or the angels of comfort and tranquility meet you. Those who say salam and salama. Whether this or that depends on what you've done with Allah's love in your life. It's as simple as that. You can be an idiot as much as you want. In fact, the Quran says most people will live and die idiots. Because they're, they're afflicted with their brain. Their brain can't accept an extended hand filled with love and mercy. Oh, well, no, I don't know if I would have chosen life. Oh, no, I don't know if I like this. Oh, I don't know if this makes sense to me. Oh, I don't know if I... Bunch of just nonsense until the moment of death comes. And all that nonsense will evaporate as quickly as if you become inflicted with a virus and you find yourself in critical condition in a hospital bed. Suddenly, all your pretenses, all your, all your ego, all your arrogance evaporates as you mutter to yourself, Allah, please save me. I'm going to close with a story. I knew someone... This woman used to be at one point a muhajraba, a practicing Muslim. In fact, she used to be active in her local MSA, used to have images that proud to be Muslim on, on media. until she developed some friendships with some people in college. These friends took her down a path that she shouldn't have gone through. But within two years of meeting these friends, she not only became not a Muslim, but she would brag on social networks that she's an ex-Muslim and a former Muslim and she would mock religious people. Suddenly, although this girl is young and healthy, this girl became gravely ill very quickly. And on her deathbed, she told her mother seconds before her death, please, I beg, I'm scared. I'm scared because of what Allah is going to do to me. Please pray that Allah forgive me. Pray that Allah forgives me. And then she died. This is a true story. And after she died, of course, her mother and her father 
had the question of do, do we bear her as a Muslim because she had bragged about not being, and that's how I got involved in the story. Is she, did she die a Muslim? Did she die not a Muslim? Unfortunately, according to her father, she did not re-utter the shahada. Her mother said no, she took the shahada before death. Her father said no, she didn't take the shahada before death. So, you know, you, you had conflicting testimony. Allah alam who's the satan the truth. But that is not the point. Whether she took the shahada or not, that's not why I'm telling you the story. Why I'm telling you the this, this story is that this girl that used to be all over social media pontificating about how all her skepticism when it came to the moment of terror where all is gone and you feel the shadow of death approaching. That's when you see the truth very clearly. It comes out clear and crisp. Don't be among those who are foolish. Know that Allah loves you and it is only your doubts and only your failures to reciprocate that love that makes you not see this loving God. That God that gives and gives and gives and continues giving and continues giving and continues giving. Although that God has given you what is truly divine. The intellect, free choice, the ability that has not been given to any other creature by human beings. May Allah protect all of us and guard us from guard us from illness and guard us from foolishness and guard us from our own weaknesses and our own failures. Allahumma afana rabbil alameen. Allahumma arhamna. Allahumma khfir lana. Allahumma shafina wa afina ya aliyya azim. Anta shafi, anta al-mu'afi, wala shafi, wala mu'afi ghayruk. Allah forgive our sins, grant us peace and blessings, make us better Muslims, and protect us and protect the hel our health and the health of our families and the health of our neighbors and loved ones and the health of our nation and the health of our world. Allah give us wisdom to learn the lesson and to turn to you for salvation and for help and for comfort and for strength. Ya Allah, Rabbil Alameen. Welcome.